Welcome to Jyotish Conversations, a weekly series presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each week we feature a half-hour conversation with a leading practitioner of Jyotish, Vedic Astrology. And our goal is to make this ancient knowledge interesting, understandable, and somewhat less mysterious. So here's this week's show, and thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Penny. What's what's on our agenda for this week? Well, this week I would like to uh, develop what we've been talking about so far. In fact, everything develops from the beginning. Uh, our our whole discussion of tradition, our whole discussion of vidya, and what that represents. And where I'd like to pick it up is this idea of. Vidya represents the mystery and the principles, the integration, the perfect, inter- and the art of the art of integrating them as well. Well, which makes it true knowledge, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And we just we talked last time that these subjects are so compelling. You know, the astrology section of the newspaper, even in our scientific world, is <laughs> so compelling because of this integration. Of, of mystery and principles. And we talked a little bit about the mystery, and is it really mystery? You know, what is it that makes it mysterious? And the, the idea is mystery is something beyond the ken of the five senses. We're all aware that something exists beyond the ken of the five senses, whether we own up to it or not. We all have a sense that there is something more than we can taste, touch, smell, see, and hear. We have that sixth sense. We know that's true. And what makes it beyond the ken of the senses, or what is beyond the ken of the senses, there's a word in the tradition, I talked about it, I believe, in our first podcast when we talked about Veda as organized around a central uh, Bindu, a central truth that is not displaced. And that central truth is essence in the Vedic tradition, Atma. And Atma is exactly that. It is beyond the senses. There's no way to touch it, taste it, etc. But there are orders of things beyond the ken of the senses. That's the ultimate the ultimate adrishta, the ultimate essence that cannot be um, seen, named, described, although we use words constantly to try to describe it. Um, Part of the tradition is you use words to negate the fact that it can be seen, tasted, touched, etc. It's a whole um, shabda pramana, learning through uh, words and and the negation value. That's another story. But this, this idea of an ultimate adrishta uh, also brings up the concept that there are levels of not being able to see, taste, smell, touch. Um, something that comes to my mind immediately is um, my DNA, mm-hmm. uh, for example. I can't taste it, touch it, smell it, see it, and yet it can be by by certain magicians that we call scientists. <laughs> yeah. 
they can extract my DNA and they can um, sequence my proteins and come up with the fact that I'm missing a vital enzyme that has rise to my digestive problems. Right. Now, if I lived in another time, you know, another century, another culture, uh, someone might have been able to take my pulse, okay? And from little, whether my pulse was frog-like, you know, whether my pulse was steady, come up with the fact that I was having a digestive problem and give me something that would help me, just as the modern-day doctor might say to me, okay, take this. And had I gone to the Vaidya instead of the modern-day doctor, the pills that the or the herbs that the Vaidya would give me would be considered um, mysterious. But I would say that the er, that the pills that the doctor gives me, the enzymes that the doctor gives me, is no less mysterious to me, because the cause, the tracing of the cause and effect, is not seeable to me. But to the Vaidya and to the medical doctor, it is seeable. The medical doctor might say what the Vaidya is doing is not seeable simply because they don't have that kind of training. And that's true with really any form of dealing with an expert at anything. Um, you know, even, even as I'm sure you've had the experience where you're sitting holding a piece of paper on which you have 12 squares and, and a couple of, uh, uh, of letters and you're able to sit and tell a person really what's going on in their life and you know, what kind of personality they have and how they perceive things. And the essence of, of being an expert at anything involves a certain amount of mystery to those that don't understand the structure of it. Exactly. But the, the difference here is that uh, a scientist would demand that that can get computerized and be replicable. And, uh, and Vidya would say, no, because in the context of one particular set of symbols... That particular pattern that you're studying, you know, maybe it's a debilitated moon or whatever, is going to operate one way because of the chart it's embedded in and will operate a totally different way in someone else's chart. And that's what drives uh, statisticians and scientists a little crazy about a subject like Jyotisha or Ayurveda or any of these systems. They, in the final analysis cannot be done by a machine because they require what we were talking about last time. They require that integrated nya, that grace of a, a vidya that helps us jump the gap and say, no, in this chart, I'm going to throw out so many of my so-called principles because there's something about how it's embedded here that leads me somewhere else. Right. And that, of course, is the glory of these subjects, and that is the hair-pulling of these subjects. <laughs> but in the final analysis, what's not seeable to a practitioner, sorry, what's not seeable to uh, an, an ordinary person, a novice, is seeable to the practitioner. Magicians use this principle. They know certain laws of nature. And that by working with them in certain ways, they can create something that's an illusion to others. They, they consider it mystery. 
but to that practicing magician, it's replicable. They, they understand. They've gone into a deeper order of reality, a more subtle order of reality in order to create that effect. So it all gets kind of thrown into the same pot, but it isn't. And, and even modern physics now is coming to the realization that the uh, observer uh, affects the outcome. So it's not actually true on the deepest orders of nature that something is 100% objective. And of course, this is a very exciting um, uh, field of this, of this marriage between subjective and objective means of gaining knowledge. This kind of uh, way of gaining knowledge, again, in old world science, can be thought of uh, by the word divination. Divination sometimes <laughs> scary word <laughs> uh, to the Western mind, but it shouldn't be because it's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about looking at the world in a way that's subtler and not as easily, um, not as readily apparent, unless you have the benefit of some cultivated um, judgment and awareness. India is so rich in divination systems and all these avidyas. It seems to be a, a culture that you know gloried in the proliferation and understanding of the concept of adrishta. And why? Because its very tradition is grounded uh, on the field of, of, of essence or on the point value, infinite value and point value and everything in between that we describe as Atma, the all-permeating isness. And so there's no reluctance in that culture whatsoever to having knowledge come through subjective and objective means and of looking at the world as a pattern that can be read. And from that idea of looking at the world and everything in it, as a pattern that can be read, arises diverse um, roads in, diverse means of um, organizing those patterns. And those systems, we could say, are divination systems. Once again, this is not um, something special about India. This is, this is a birthright of the human nervous system. Uh, and my teacher tells a story about uh, indigenous uh, people in, in Canada who were able to very accurately uh, predict snowfalls, the amount of snow that would come. Mm -hmm. And this became circulated, and some meteorologists came to visit you know this this particular tribe and this elder and asked him, you know, how, you know how do you do this? You know how do you predict snowfall so accurately? And he took them into the woods and showed the moss growth patterns. And, you know, when the moss grew a particular way, and, you know, then this would portend this amount of snow, and very subtle, subtle discriminations that these meteorologists had no way of replicating. But this was cultivated within this, uh, in this tribe, this awareness, this cultivation of judgment, 
that was adrishta to the meteorologist, but very practical and useful uh, in the life of this particular um, group of people. So patterns and the ability to recognize patterns is what our world is all about to operate in it effectively. And India cultivated masterfully ways of understanding and recognizing patterns and name them, name the diverse systems that we could roughly translate as divination systems. They're all organized around the central uh, point of omen. Now, once again, this idea of omen. So I'm meaning omen in the most neutral sense, you know, not just some scary thing. You know, or, or, we had an amazing omen last week, and the news media was filled with this. I, I was so overwhelmed by this. And this, was, uh, this took place at the funeral of a very uh, prominent and very wonderful newscaster. Tim Russett right, just right. passed away, and uh, he—I—I I loved his show. I thought he was a very solid person. I didn't know nearly uh, as much about him as I do now, and the kind of man he was, and the kind of values he held. But certainly, he was a very um, wonderful human being by all accounts, a great soul. And at the end of the funeral, they played a um, something that was on his iPod which was a, a rendition of Over the Rainbow, which he apparently really loved this rendition. So they played this as the recessional, as people were leaving uh, the hall after the funeral. Mm-hmm. They played this Over the Rainbow. And as they walked out over Washington was a complete double rainbow, just shimmering and incandescent. I mean, the videos of it were overwhelming. I can imagine what the context was. No one who saw that had any hesitation about saying that this was an omen. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's beautiful. And yet we say we're scientific, but not one of those hard-boiled people in that hall could come out and look at that omen and not understand that this portended, you know, some great ascension uh, of this person and some great huge hope. You know, that's what you were filled with rather than the sadness anymore was the lighting up of the majesty of the release of the soul. That's, you know, now maybe people would say it in different ways. That is an omen. And all divination including Jyotisha, because Jyotisha is part of these divination systems, is organized around this central value of omen. And an omen is something that strikes a human nervous system, and the person just knows. You know, whatever the context of that omen is, however it presents itself, there's an instantaneous knowing associated with that, some deep resonant knowing. Very mysterious process. (laughs) (laughs) So it's said that there are eight divination systems in India. Uh, Probably there are more, but eight that I'll categorize today. And, you know, it starts, the whole thing where it starts is what's most immediate to us, which is our physical body. 
So our body is structured uh, in terms of omens. Now that sounds maybe a little strange, but our hands, the proportion of our limbs, how close together our eyes are, how deeply set they are, whether our nose has a hook or not, how big our ears are, <laughs> the span of our arms if we hold them out, the length of our arms if they, do they extend below our knees. This tradition has ascribed meaning to all of these patterns based on, again, cognition of the seers of this tradition. Most of this is passed on in the oral tradition, the parampara tradition. Some of it is codified and written. Statements are in Shastra such as Lord Rama had arms that extended below his knees. And this correlates then with this idea of lordship or um, evolution or uh, a higher um, a PowerPoint in a, in a society, a regent, a king. And this, once again, is adrishta to us. How could this be true? And yet it, iridologists, you know, more contemporary, and iridologists will look at patterns or spots in the eyes and correlate that to um, problems or, or dysfunctions in the um, digestive system or the other systems of the body. So using a body part. Um, once again, someone taking the pulse is using a body part to divine or to understand what isn't seeable otherwise. So this study of the body and its proportions and um, its patterns is known as Anga, one of the divination systems. And it's based on omen. The hands which is uh, probably next to uh, Jyotisha, the most uh, popular divination system is Anga. It comes uh, in this divination system. It actually crosses over to another one. The lines of the hands are patterns. They develop in the fetus. I, I, I don't have the information right at my fingertips, so to speak. Mm. <laughs> fingertips <laughs> are also studied. Um, but they develop very early the line patterns, but it isn't just line patterns. People think that um, Hasta Samudraka Shastra, which is the official name for uh, hand analysis in India, is about lines, but it's about this larger picture of shape. Some people's hands are shaped certain ways, and that is uh, known in the tradition to give rise to certain personality traits, just like you mentioned looking at the patterns in the chart, and to someone they look like nonsense uh, symbols and sure. to a Jyotishi, they come alive, don't they? Oh, they certainly do, and very directly in your awareness. Right. So the same thing with the hand. The hand uh, and its shape and the length, the relative lengths of the fingers and the uh, skin ridge patterns that we call fingerprints and and yes, the lines in that context, they're an omen. You know, so we we kind of narrow our sense of what we mean by omen. An omen is simply a pattern that is recognizable as giving information that might be adrishta to someone else. Okay, sure. So the, the whole patterning of the hands, the whole patterning of the proportions, all of those 
are centered around this idea of something that strikes the awareness of a diviner who can then um, speak to uh, what that pattern represents uh, for that human being. So anga, our own bodies. And then following along with the idea of um, markings, there can be markings on the on the hands, warts, a wart in a funny place, a black spot in a funny place, a mole on your face. So the idea of um, signs and marks uh, on the body or even just the general attitude or impression that you get, vyanjana, another system, just how a man walks into a room. This is used in medicine. You could have the greatest surgeon or, or doctor, internist in the world who has no sense of this. And an old country doctor who has been at it for years and years and just knows when a person walks in the room by the droop of their shoulder and the kind of gait and a general coloring. They don't have to whip out their handheld computer and put in all the different symptoms that might be there. They just know. Right, right. They just know. And the best doctors are the ones that work on omens. <laughs> they wouldn't call it that, but that's what it is. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a, it's a different way of thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. It, it reminds me also of uh, uh, how when you're growing up, your mom just knows when you've done something you shouldn't. Exactly. 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 <laughs> There's a lot. It's just that our culture is really full of uh, of ways in which we, you know, we do use, you know, for lack of a better term, direct knowledge. Um, you know, what, what you're calling omens. I mean, I think it's quite. It's a very natural thing. And it's very much a part of all human experience. Absolutely. So, so this this divination system of Vyanjana, the general sense or impression of a thing, the horoscope. You know, you look at a you look at a chart. Sometimes, without even going into the details, it strikes you a certain way. There's a patterning in the chart that strikes you a certain way. That's Vyanjana. You know, that's a, a general impression. Then there's. Um, Systems based on staying with sort of the, the body and general impressions of things, based on breath, swata, it's called. It can be as simple once again as what is the voice like. So this kind of crosses over to Vyanjana, the general impression. Is the voice a little hysterical? You know, that's going to create an impression, isn't it? Uh, but it can be subtler in terms of the flow of the breath. And there's a lot of uh, divination in the system of Jyotish known as Prashna, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on, uh, another uh, podcast, where um, a practitioner could respond to a question based on um, the, what the breath is doing, what the breathing pattern is. And there are two channels for breathing, the, the channel of the moon, the channel of the sun, uh, having to do with the nostrils, which one is active, where is the breath flowing more. And that weaves into the actual divination of being able to answer a question, which is amazing, isn't it? And well, yeah, it is amazing. And, and uh, I wish I could remember where I read it, but someone... 
uh, had had described that process uh, in some detail, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's fascinating and 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 accurate in the hands of a properly trained person. Exactly, and that's the whole point. So what seems just totally out there to us, like the like the Vijaya taking a pulse and finding a similar digestive problem to the doctor who's analyzed the base sequences of the DNA. Um, it's a matter of training and uh, an inability to cultivate that inner light. So and speaking of inner light, <laughs> a good time to, uh, to introduce uh, Antariksha, the omen of the sky. Now, these omens that I'm talking about, uh, these nimittas, the body and its proportions, the breath, the general impression that something creates, and the sky... These are available omens. These are omens that um, are readily um, accessed. You know, we can look at someone's hand. We can look at the patterns of the sky. Antariksha means sky. And that brings in the whole um, uh, beautiful Jyotisha. That's our topic for our discussions. So in the final analysis, Jyotisha is an omen. It's a pattern that has gathered itself at a particular time. And when someone who's trained looks at that pattern, they get information. Whereas someone else looks at that pattern and the understanding of how that pattern applies to a human life is adrishta. It's not seen. So the sky is always available to observe at any moment that you decide to ask it what are you doing? <laughs> what does this pattern represent? And so uh, Jyotisha, as the d- divination system of Antariksha, is actually the umbrella for all of them. The Anga that I've talked about earlier, uh, especially Hastasamudraka, in fact uses Jyotistical terms. It uses the Jupiter finger. It uses um, the place of the moon on the hand. And so there's an overlay of Jyotish, an integration of Jyotish. It's true with the with the uh, swara, the breath. We talk about the Chandra Nadi, the moon channel, and the Surya Nadi, the sun channel. Um, Vyanjana, um, the part of the body someone may be touching. And again, the general impression correlates to, um, to Jyotish as well. If you know what your planets represent, if someone walks into a room with a little bit of a limp, then the impression created is a shani dosha, some Saturn problem for that person. Um, so Jyotish becomes, the as, as everything is um, organized around omen, around nimitta, Jyotish is also an umbrella organizing principle permeating all of these other uh, seven divination systems. And the ones I've discussed so far, once again, are more available in terms of um, being able to conjure them up, so to speak. There are other systems of divination that are more spontaneous. So let's talk about swapna, dreams. You can't will a dream. It happens. And dream analysis permeates once again all cultures all cultures understand that there's something in the symbolism of dreams 
that is creating some kind of pattern that can be significant in the life of that individual or even on a broader um, level, like um, the dreams of um, Joseph. Right. So dream analysis, however, is not an immediately available omen. It's an omen that has to strike the awareness when it happens, uh, and meaning comes from a spontaneous aha. Oh, that dream, that's mm-hmm. a, right? Right. So it is a divination system, but it requires more of that spontaneity. We can talk about the system known as Bumi, which has to do with the laws of nature in a particular location. Bumi means earth or location or place or position. Um, but also the position of someone who's asking a question. And this is really a, a fascinating one. You can even manipulate that position <laughs> to create a certain effect if you're good at this particular divination system. And that kind of comes into the whole um, uh, vidya of, uh, of vastu, you know, everyone's place in the world. And depending on where people are sitting in, uh, you know, in power positions at a table, for example, a, a skilled Vastu uh, Vedan, practitioner of Vastu, can place people, Bhumi, their position at the table in order to have the best possible outcome for the person they're advising. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's pretty amazing, but it's also something that you know very, very common in business. I mean, everybody, everybody, you know, knows the boss sits at the head, and we also know that you know the the uh, uh, you know we in business people talk about a power tie, exactly, right? You know, and and these things operate on subtle levels and influence people in a subtle way, and I think it's something that's probably present in every culture, in one form or another. It is, but here's the problem. When everybody starts to wear a power tie, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Then you've taken the 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 omen of it and created a superstition. And so this is one of the issues with these divination systems: that what was a spontaneous omen uh, for uh, a diviner in a particular moment, together with a querent, becomes perpetrated. Uh, ridiculously so, into something that no longer has meaning, uh, you know. And so we get our black cat and our right. don't under the ladder, and you know we get all of this kind of um, thing. And, and then, unfortunately, true omens and true readers of omens get, you know, kind of the baby in the bathwater. They get swept out um, in the tidal wave of, of superstition, misapplied um, omens that become. Um, perpetuated uh, in a tradition when they no longer have the conditions that would make them valuable pieces of knowledge from an adrishta source. We have omens in nature now, Ben, uh, which constitutes one of our other systems, upata, omens in nature. Doesn't it strike you? I mean, it certainly strikes me that the earth has to have a way of responding to the injustices that are perpetrated on it? Oh, sure, certainly. 
And so these omens in nature, you know, we're busy, you know, putting the fires out, literally, um, holding back the floodwaters, literally, you know, all of these <laughs> expressions that we have. But are we really looking underneath and trying to understand, is this Mother Earth responding in the only way she can? And are we as human beings going to just... Um, build other ways to contain nature or are we going to hear her voice and operate more in accordance with nature or do her omens have to get uh, grosser before we really understand this process so that is another divination system uh, reading the omens in nature so natural calamities are considered a divination system in India given an official name it's fascinating, isn't it? Oh, definitely, yeah. So these systems of divination uh, lead us to understanding patterns that will help us uh, align, adjust, understand our own nature, the nature of the world we live in, our interactions with other beings of all sorts, and lead more useful, more productive lives, and also give us uh, an understanding of how we can make adjustments, how we can interact with nature and natural law so that we have more productive life, less violations of the laws of nature. And Jyotisha, uh, this, our subject, then becomes uh, our means. And yet as we pursue and study Jyotish, we don't discount or forget its sisters, its seven sisters, who are able to give us knowledge as well. So, for example, in the, in the um, branch of Jyotish known as Prashna, I'll end with a story of uh, an omen in a Jyotish context that my teacher tells about his teacher. And I tell a lot of stories about what my teacher says about his teacher, and it's uh, part of the joy of having the great privilege, I would say, of learning this way. And so much of what I say is directly from the mouth of my teacher and, and through him his. So this story is about um, several of uh, Muntri's students who were gathered and uh, Muntri was going to do a reading and they were going to be present for this reading. And the chart didn't look all that promising. In fact, the chart was scary. And they were really curious as to how this was going to go, how Muntry was going to handle this. And the person came in, came in with a basket of golden, fragrant golden mangoes, and put it in front of Muntry. And the reading went along the lines of the most amazingly wonderful things were going to unfold for this person. And it, 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 when Munchie first started to say some of these things, the students kind of caught each other's eyes and kind of, you know, had that puzzled look. And then it got to kind of elbowing each other. And then it got to total incredulity over the things that were being said. And finally, uh, when that person left, they descended on him saying, how could you say that? Look at this. Look at Saturn here. Look at this. Look at that. And he looked at them all and said, did you see the mangoes? So what was he using? He was using the fact that these golden mangoes just exuding the most wonderful perfume at the 
fullest ripeness, the most beautiful expression of mangoness, <laughs> <laughs> told the whole story. Would I do that every time? No. But in some moment, at some time, something comes together for the reader, the diviner, the omen itself, the person who bears it. And that person, that diviner, just knows. The divination systems of India. <laughs>